Brandon. Hey, Alan. And welcome to Dice Over Everything, the miniatures gaming podcast. So, I don't know. I don't usually start this off with miniatures, but I feel like we've both managed to like do very, very, very extravagant and stupid miniature purchases recently, and just been like, yeah, whatever. It's just stupid. It doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> do you yeah, feel that man, way? That's part of the hobby. I think I've talked about this mm-hmm. before. Retail therapy is is part of the reason why I'm into miniatures. You know, like I mm-hmm. was I was showing my sister the other day um, my my wall of miniatures, and she's like, "What? Yeah, sure. Okay, why do you have that?" I'm like, "You know, it's just fun. <laughs> it's just fun to have mm-hmm. it." And then and then I was like, "Yeah, so uh, I kind of understand how some people have walls of shoes." And she was like, "Yeah." I don't understand either of you guys. Oh, <laughs> like, I don't understand my friends who have walls of shoes, and I don't understand this this giant thing. And I'm like, well, you, you just don't get it, man. Mm-hmm. You aren't cool like us. Yeah, you and your self-control. I almost feel like our... Self-control is overrated. As long as it doesn't kill you or mm-hmm. severely injure you, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I feel like our talks about our extravagant miniature purchases are just like the opposite of Alcoholics Anonymous. Like, oh, you did that terrible thing. Oh, well, I did this terrible thing. <laughs> like, what sort of? Oh my god. What sort of? Group Na- that's a little bit too this? dark, man. <laughs> it's real. Uh, I did. Let's see. I did have a period where I drank a lot, and funnily enough, um, I wasn't playing miniatures during that time. So maybe miniatures has, because I have a kind of an addictive personality, miniatures has helped me be more healthy by cutting down on my drinking. For a while there, I was drinking, like, was it every day? It was a lot, anyways. I don't know if that makes you an alcoholic or not, but I think I drank every day. I'm not going to comment on how Alcoholics Anonymous tries to just replace your drinking with some, like, major enthusiasm about something else, but let's not. Uh, that probably is good and, and yeah, eat to have a kill zest you. for life or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's so. better if, if your zest for for life is not about something that will kill you. Exactly, miniature gaming, like unless your pile is so big that it falls down on you, mm-hmm. uh, in general it won't kill you. No, and you can only sell it if you haven't opened it. Yeah, it's not like collecting collecting rotten food containers that like attract pests. It, it just attracts no one except you. <laughs> this giant pile. <laughs> In some ways, it makes you lonelier. Uh, but you know, if you for us, you know, when you have the miniature gaming thing, it does mm-hmm. have have you go out, right? For some mm-hmm. people, when they buy, like for example, like I guess shoes are pretty good because the entire intention of shoes is that you put them on and that encourages you to go out because who like you know you, they're shoes, they're they're for going out. So you put your shoes on, your new shoes on, and then you go out, which is good. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if people wear their shoe collections or they don't wear their shoe collections out. Because I know some people with miniatures are so like, oh my god, if I unbox it, it's like no longer a boxed, perfect, pristine <laughs> product. It's no longer yeah. mint anymore. I, know, I feel oh, that way about terrible. converting exclusives. Anyhow, that's anyways. That's not actually our topic, although maybe mm. that should be a topic uh, uh, some for some time. But our topic. The nature of obsession, yeah. The nature <laughs> too, too of deep. obsession and the different things oh. that uh, can make us obsessed, specifically uh, fluff. So mm. we had a previous topic about how fluff was the secret sauce or if fluff was the secret sauce of wargaming, and we kind of had a lot of thoughts about it. So we want to revisit it, uh, but this time specifically about 
light fluff games versus heavy fluff games in wargaming, of course, since this is a miniature mm-hmm. wargaming podcast, even though you might not notice it from our first, what, five minutes of talking? Yeah. No, we talked about miniatures this time to begin with. That's, we, That's true. Yeah, weird, but, I know. It's meta, I guess. Yes. It was a meta way. It's not specifically about wargaming. It was. We like, start with miniatures that went. What is the track? nature yeah. of purchasing wargaming? What's the uh, nature wargaming? of? What's the nature of obsession? Yes. How does it relate to wargaming? <laughs> we'll go. We'll go read up yeah, so, on psychology so how, for that yeah. episode, and then give everyone some terrible pop psychology. But the the last episode about fluff, I think we sort of talked about what fluff is necessary to make a game successful. Mm-hmm. But for for this angle, I think we're more getting of the light fluff versus heavy fluff. Just think of how you define light fluff versus heavy fluff. For light fluff, I sort of, like on the most broad scale, I see light fluff being where the player can fill in a lot of gaps themselves. Is that sort of how you would define it very broadly? Um, That's how I pick. That's yes. how I conceive it. Sure. Okay. And then heavy, I don't know if I would do it so theoretically. Okay. Um, I, I guess, How first it, of all, I think it's important to talk about, like, just, just to get a recap of the last one, so we so everyone's on the same page of fluff in general, right? Mm-hmm. When we talk about fluff, um, it's the story portion of of Wargaming, right? The story and the all of that kind of background thing that is not about the actual playing of the game or the specific miniatures, right? So I think... In the previous one, we talked uh, heavily about how art is an important portion of the fluff. And often, you know, they say picture paints a thousand words, but honestly, it's often way more than a thousand words, right? Like, we talked about how Warhammer 40,000, the art is so important for that that entire thing of getting people into it, right? And so... Um, and then there's also instead besides just you know the cover art the beautiful pictures inside that kind of hook you like let's say the pictures of the different army factions right and how they're battling there's also just the story like the background you know we're, we're talking about war games right so it could be the history of the world if it's a fantasy world mm-hmm. uh, where they're fighting and do those kind about, of do we talk about having good characters within the world too like not yeah, just having like an overarching idea yeah. but actually like bring it down to the character level. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if we talked about that one. No, you just, have to go back and wa- and hmm? uh, listen to it. Uh, so it's one one two, I think. So yeah. if you want to go back and listen and tell us that we're wrong and we actually did <laughs> talk about it, or one of us is wrong, I guess. <laughs> we we either did or did talk did about we? it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, like, the story that the kind of character beats, right? The character, interesting characters, just like any kind of story, right? Um, so it's kind of like all of that story that's gone into these different board games is specifically what fluff is. And so when you're looking at light fluff now to heavy fluff, I think now we can kind of, for me, I guess, my definition, I think you're you're right, you know, like, you know, you can fill in a lot of things. I think that's necessary for light fluff. But mm-hmm. to me, I would just be operative. Like, light fluff is there's very little uh, okay. story and things like that. So you're and forced, so you're forced is, to fill in the gaps. Okay. Yes. So you Not, don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to, right? I think that is that that's kind of like a result of having very little fluff. Mm-hmm. And then the heavy thing is, you know, when there's there's a lot. And I think it's easiest to understand it, at least in my point of view, uh, 
um, with examples. Like Warhammer 40,000, we mentioned the game is all fluff, right? The game, honestly, kind of, in my opinion, it's not very good, right? There's yeah. good things in it, but overall, nobody goes to Warhammer 40,000 and says, oh, I, I play Warhammer 40,000 because uh, the mechanics are so cool and great, right? They don't talk about mechanics when they talk about Warhammer. They talk about the cool factions, the cool story behind those kind of things, right? And even when they have, like like you said, they fill in portions because of the, the way the world is, they will, the things they talk about that, that make them love it is thinking about all the different story be, stories in their <clears throat> army that, you know, that they present to the table. Whereas the opposite of a light fluff game, right, is chess. You mean the step below that? Once you go below heavy to light to or, none? Or go. Or even, yeah, exactly. I was even, I was thinking, I was no even thinking of Risk. It's like when you play Risk, the board game, you're like, uh, all of our soldiers look the same. And even though there's countries here, it really doesn't particularly matter where you start out. You kind of just start out in some random spot. Just depending on how the, the game plays out. You always start out in Australia. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to be a second Different every gameplay. If you yeah. just want to hold on for life. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, and then make your move by collecting cards. Yeah. Um, but yeah, exactly, right? So the, the light fluff things, like even even chess, I guess, has a bit more fluff than like Go, where Go is just territory control, right? Mm-hmm. And it has, it, it, in some ways, Go is a better simulation of actual wargaming, like uh, actual battles, because it's just territory control. But there's no story behind it. It's very abstracted. It's 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 whatever, right? And if, if if you talk about just the miniatures on the table, maybe that's like to the extreme because people don't even consider those games war games, right? And I think rightly so. Um, there are certain games that they often call them generic rule sets, right? Yep. Where uh, the generic rule set has no fluff, and they're like, you know, you can use this for any kind of story or world, right? Yeah, so I've noticed that people don't really seem to latch on to those games, though. I'm like, they're out there, but no one, no one ever latches on. Yep. I definitely agree. But I guess that is an example of a game with, mm-hmm. like, very, very low fluff. Yeah, I keep saying Stargrave after that one. And you're like, no, it has some. I'm like, yep, yeah, it's, it's not enough. Really? You think yep. Stargrave? I think Stargrave has a decent amount. Mm-hmm. I feel right. like, do we want to keep going on Stargrave in terms of a light fluff game? Uh, or, or did you want to go back to saying, like, what we think is the ideals of having a light fluff versus a heavy fluff before we go into specific examples? Yeah, like, I think some sort of, when we talked about people bouncing off of the no fluff games, I think that just because the nature of a tabletop war game is that you're having this shared experience, or that's that's the ideal of it. In order to yeah. do that, you have to be like, okay, my force is here fighting you for this reason. This is where they come from. And you have that sort of like combined storytelling experience that if you don't have the same idea of even you think you're in some world and they think they're in a different world, and it just makes no sense why your armies are even there fighting each other. It just detracts from that whole sort of shared storytelling aspect that's kind of necessary for tabletop war games. Because it's like what it comes down to is if you want to play a super tactical game, like you said, there's those board games out there that exists to just get your tactical rocks off. But if you want to have sort of like that 
almost more artistic like creation you're putting on the board, which is heavily part of wargaming because you're building them, you're painting them, you're putting like artistic expression into creating these things to some degree to create this like army scale project that if you lack that like shared experience thing, it's just, it doesn't seem to mesh and work for people. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, we talked about whether fluff during fluff, right? Like this is a very visual mm-hmm. medium. The entire like, uh, idea of simulating an actual battle is so important to what makes wargaming so much more interesting than a lot of other games. And within that, you know, is a story that goes on this the bat this battle, right? Like in any kind of media, if you just watched a battle and there's no context of why they're fighting, it's just people fighting. It is so mm-hmm. much less interesting. Uh, then, you know, if you have the backstory, right? That's why your movies don't just cut straight to the giant war. It's not just three hours in general of a giant war scene. That's not enough for people. You have to set up the stakes. Yeah, explosions so, are cool, but there has to be a reason. Yeah. Like, yeah, why is this thing exploding? You yeah. got the Death Star exploding and, by itself would be like, yeah. why? I don't know. Who cares? Yeah, so, so I think... Like, you know, some people like that, but I think for the wider audiences, it's a very... Like, you you to cast a wider uh, wide enough net that more than three people are going to play your game uh you need to have that story experience right and i think when we talk about you know uh, uh rule sets that are generic and have no actual fluff the idea of those rule sets in general is not to have no fluff i it, i i think you're right when when you when you started and i really interrupted you to describe fluff um mm-hmm. is the point is not to have no fluff. It's that the fluff is entirely self-directed when you have low fluff, right? Yeah. So I think when you have these generic rule sets that that say you can do it in anything, their idea is that is is to separate the fluff, uh, the story beats from the actual game, so that you can just slot in any story that you can come up with and the idea is you will bring your own fluff but it'll not like they don't they they supply the rules you supply the story right the only, the only problem as i just mentioned is there's two people involved in the war game and uh-huh. maybe you both actually get together and create that thing but often that doesn't happen so that can be that's i think what ruins those games is the the two-player aspect makes it, it harder <clears throat> i don't yeah yes. i don't think it ruins them i think it makes their it, it makes it hard to corral people to actually play exactly like you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. Like it just makes it makes it a lot harder to get people invested in your game because or in the game or whatever what it is because they don't have the story beats to hang the experience on, right? Yep. I think we talked about this somewhat when we were creating uh, our game, uh, Blood of Stars. Um, yeah, we originally thought we'd go quite low on it, but then I guess just from talking about these sort of things, we came to the realization that, hey, okay, maybe people could layer their stuff on top of it, but is that really what people want? And then came to the yeah. question of how much should there really be? Like, yeah, exactly, right. So that's why we're that's part of why we're having this conversation now. Yeah, because um, what talking with a lot of people. 
they get hooked into the games. A lot of the people that play war games, they get hooked on into the game, like, first by having a cool idea and story and frame, right? Fluff reference mm -hmm. before they get hooked on onto the mechanics or, or, or the gameplay to play that out, right? And so when you have a light fluff system, there still needs, or sort of game, uh, you still need enough fluff that they're intrigued enough to take a look into the mechanics, right? Mm -hmm. So I think you're you're right. If you strip it all out, it becomes very hard to hook people, like because so many of those people are looking at it for, from that fluff perspective. So I think there's like a minimum, and I would say the minimum is um, what well, we'd have to talk about it more and just see examples, right? Because we never we never know. But my, my back of napkin guess before we go into de into specifics uh, would be you need at least a blurb, your elevator pitch, to make people care enough. And you probably, if you just have your elevator pitch, you probably need some cool art. So that, at least one or two pieces of art that hooks people. Do you know the... Yeah. Yeah, it conveys the idea so much faster because I'm just thinking of all the games we've played. Like, with the games and the books we buy for our, the... Like, just the mm -hmm. background books for no matter what it is, like Gaslands, Frostgrave, Infinity, even just, like, the one-off, like, knockoff fantasy games. Not, not knockoff fantasy games. They're just generic fantasy games where you bring your own miniatures. The first thing I look for and like everybody looks at it's like all the art pieces just to be like, okay, what where are we? What sort of battle are we supposed to be having here? The, the, like you said earlier, a picture says a thousand words. So rather than reading through that entire book, you're like, okay, I can get this idea really quickly through just seeing these art pieces. And just the same thing for buying Infinity books. I buy the Infinity Fluff books. But I've seen all, I've definitely read all the pictures, read, I definitely looked at all the pictures in them. But whether I've read all the words in them, definitely not. Definitely not at them all. <laughs> but the yes, art pieces exactly. Like, the art pieces have inspired me to build some armies. Yeah. So and a lot of there's a lot of people that you know play Infinity and have it have read none of those words, mm -hmm. but have seen a lot of the art. Right. And so I guess it's somewhat deceiving when you think about like low fluff, as in low word count uh, stories. Like if you look at Frostgrave, right? Frostgrave initially the, the the core book is very sparse on text right it gives you enough it gives you the elevator pitch frozen city uh, a magically frozen city that is thawing and all these wizards are coming to gather like get all these unearth all of these treasures from it and fight each other right in this once you know this apocalyptic thing right that's that's the blurb it's very short right uh but the thing that has sold it, and I think we mentioned this before, uh, is it has, since first edition, and I think had amazing artwork. And I think actually first edition has better artwork. Mm -hmm. So even though the second edition's, uh, what do you call it, uh, graphic design, I think, is better. It's cleaner, right? There's a lot of changes and stuff that makes it a lot nicer looking book. Uh, the actual art, there's a lot of art to set the stage for that fluff right and that i think really helped it sell so like it's kind of weird when i think about frostgrave is frostgrave low low uh fluff or high fluff because there's very little 
text. So when you when you actually are assembling your war bands, right, you can add in a lot of those details. But there's so much beautiful art to mm-hmm. follow along. Is that low or high? In some ways, I feel like it ends up being kind of high, right? Because that sets the theme and the tone of the game and what people look like, what things like sets people's imagination mm-hmm. going, right? Yeah, I was just thinking before this about like what what high amounts of fluff is and like low amounts of fluff from how I said at the beginning of how much you fill in versus how much the game fills in for you. Like that amount of art is giving you a huge amount of representation because you think of something where you bring very little of your own ideas to the world. You start thinking outside of miniature games, like you think of playing or just watching TV shows. You think of watching movies, reading comics, playing video games. Like there, it just feeds all the fluff to you, but it's feeding it to you largely visually. And you get so that you don't have to bring very much. And Frostgrave, by having all those pictures, kind of when you think of when you're going to Frostgrave, you're like, okay, we've all we're all actually picturing encountering the same sort of thugs, encountering the same sort of other wizards, just because yeah. it's done that really he- visually heavy way of communicating it yeah and if you look at the same thing i guess with uh games workshop games right Mm -hmm. it's all sold on these beautiful art pieces and beautiful models as well right but um when you look at them when you buy a kill team box i'm just looking at, Mm -hmm. at my wall uh you look at that cover and you're like yeah this is what the fight is going to be or like when you look at Warhammer 40,000, when we got in, right? The, uh, third edition, you had those Black Templars, John Blanche piece. Yep. That really sold the world that you are getting into when you buy that thing. The game is not, not like that. No, the bizarre, <laughs> the bizarre thing is when we see people come to our store with their armies, like, okay, here's the John Blanche art pieces, which are like yeah. filthy, grungy, and like kind of scary. Then you have their art from the 90s, which is all like clean and like solid colors. You see the armies that people want to make, and they don't make the box like they don't make the box arm painted in these. They make the artwork pieces is what people want for yeah. their own armies, which is I mean, Games Workshop has shifted towards that, just acknowledging what the people want towards their miniature painting. But yeah. it seems like the art pieces had more influence on people than the miniatures themselves. And that's part yeah, of like that's, that's part that's of the fluff. Kind of true, yeah. Yeah, I think I think so. I, well, I think there's both, but I would not wouldn't necessarily say more but there's a clear shift because of the art yeah it's an outsized impact compared to these like you have a couple art pieces versus these yeah. piles and piles more of than you would movies. expect it would, it's definitely more than you would expect when considering all of the heavy metal uh stuff uh, out there like that you see initially right mm-hmm. um yeah so, and so i do think you know like you said like there's in Frostgrave, if you think about those pictures, how many pictures? There's like so much art in that 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 initial book. It's like thousands and thousands of pages. Right? If, if each one is a thousand words, it's like thousands and thousands of words about what game you're playing, how it looks, what's the setting, like all of those kind of things, right? Yeah. So to me, that is kind of ending up being like, uh, even though there's a lot of things that you can fill in, there's so much that they have put in there that it kind of yeah there's, there's just a lot right and mm-hmm. so um now I, I think it's kind of interesting that frostgrave as the 
uh, campaign books have been released, there has been more and more actual like written words, right? Like when you play the campaigns, the, the, the missions are very thematic and they reveal more about how Frostgrave is uh, through gameplay and, 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 you know, missions and things like that. And you end up seeing a lot more, you know, fluff story well, they, in those missions. Yeah, and they talk about the people who lived in Frostgrave as part of the missions. Yeah. Like, even though you're not going to encounter those people, you're kind of just like entering their world afterwards, which is yeah, sort of interesting. The remnants, yeah. And it's cool, right? It's like you're delving into, you're, you're an archaeologist and delving into those things. I don't want to make this just a, oh, Frostgrave is amazing, and here's mm-hmm. all the fluff reasons it's so good, but it is. <laughs> it's so good. It lets you like explore and get in. Like It's so cool that in Frostgrave, like, I, like we said, right, there's all mm-hmm. this artwork which kind of presents what battles you're actually kind of going through. And then, but there's not that many words. So you don't have to read a tome, right? Mm-hmm. And you can bring so much of your own self into into those games because you can fill the, all that kind of details in, right? And you can get in playing without, you know, without getting all those details. But the more you play, just playing the campaigns and missions, the more you kind of understand the world of Frostgrave, like there's there's one about uh, the catacombs and they're filled with gnolls and there's just mentions of like a fighting pits and stuff like that. Then the gnolls actually survived, right? Underneath uh, Frostgrave in, in fighting pits and you kind of understand a little bit more about the ancient denizens of Frostgrave. Uh, and then there's the university where you have a whole bunch of ghosts, right? Who came from that world and you kind of understand a little bit more about about the world there it's very uh it, the world reveals itself to you and i know you know joe mccullough specifically the, the, the writer specifically said that he wanted the game to not have too much detail so you can jump in but then as the game has gone he's actually kind of filled in a lot right but because he he keeps that mystique in mind he keeps certain things open enough that your head cannons or your your kind of own fluff that you inject into it uh can still work overall in the framework so i i just find it it a really good a really good and interesting way to to make things uh to get both a light fluff and heavy fluff kind of ideas mm-hmm. yeah so to shift gears to something i might consider more heavy fluff mm-hmm. war machine i would say might tend itself more towards heavy fluff because when you play a War Machine army, you're actually playing as a character. You're like, okay, there's this character. Yeah. The character has stuff written about them inside of all of these books. Like their art piece. Okay, they've yeah. got the art piece of what they look like, which is kind of like the miniature. But they just have like in their their books, they have long stories about how the people interact with other people. And you're not bringing yep. your own like generic captain to the thing. Like you could in 40k, you're not bringing like your wizard you made up in Frostgrave or anything else. You're like, no, you're this dude in this Mm -hmm. period with like other characters from the world in your army. If you want to win, you have to bring those characters. (laughs) So you have them (laughs) in your army. And just like it feels very heavily, that game felt very heavily fluffed to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, you know, when we played originally 40k, Mm -hmm. I felt like. I didn't like it, right? I wanted to have my own guys, but when I started playing it, I ended up, you know, it's very natural. I ended up falling in love with the characters 
oh, really? that I was playing for the armies, right? And it did kind of hook me, right? And I ended up reading all of the stories for my favorite uh, casters, they're called, mm-hmm. right, in, in War Machine, and getting very sad because my favorite casters were like side characters basically in the main story because there's like there's like a, a core set of, I don't know, 10 or 20 guys that mm-hmm. are like the real main characters, but there are casters for guys that are side characters. And then you're like, oh, I chose a side character as my favorite guy. Great. I have one story. And you mentioned did. it. Yeah. You want to be a special so snowflake. Why would you choose like the popular one? Of course you're going to choose the he snowflake He was literally character. one of like the first guys that was uh, uh, the guys that were released in a new book when, when I started getting in. So I didn't even know that I was choosing a side guy. Mm-hmm. Come on. He was like a, a he was like a big, strong guy with a giant beard. How mm-hmm. could you not love that guy? Yeah, I'm trying to think of whether I like the characters being in there or not. I get was it hmm. too much? So yeah, I, I guess, do like it. I think it's just different. It is a different way to play, and I guess it's different for different people. I guess it, it lets you get more into the game, though. You're not just like, oh, who's this guy? Like you don't know anything about him. I guess you start feeling more attached to them when they offer you like the deeper levels of fluff, you're like, Oh, okay. This guy looks cool on paper. And then I guess it lets you find a different way to express your interest in that particular army by just feeding you more stories of the background rather than be like, Oh, it's just a generic, like Druid warcaster dude. And you're like, okay. Yep. Mm. Yeah, I do. I do think so. I feel like it's just a different thing, right? Sometime it's a different experience Mm -hmm. and selling to different people. Right, not different. It's not sell to explicitly different people, but different things that you want, right? Mm-hmm. At the time, right? Like building your own army and creating your own fluff is fun, but it requires a lot of time for you to think about all those things, right? So that you can you can create that framework to bring mm-hmm. when you're actually playing out the stories that you know have actual well, in the book, right? You're playing these characters. You don't have to think about that, and you get all of the stories because, you know, they'll write stories about other characters, right? It becomes mm-hmm. a lot more like, I don't know, like literary in, in certain ways of, of in, in how you experience and enjoy it, whereas the other one is more about, like, creation and creativity, right? Which mm-hmm. you don't necessarily, like, neither of them are bad. They're just different experiences, right? So... I do like having those characters and playing games with those characters, but I I honestly do like it when they're separate, right? Like, if I want a game where the characters are centered, uh, or some people center the characters, I want those games to to be ones where we all center the characters. So, like you said, War Machine, mm-hmm. where they're all casters. Everyone plays a real, like, a, a character in the world. You can read about the backstory. You can read about the history, and then you're fighting. Malifaux, which I find uh, is like a, a modern game that I would actually want to play. Okay. <laughs> not, not the War Machine still exists, so I, it, that's wrong to, to say it's not a modern game. Yeah. Uh, but, and, but anyways, the entire point is, you know, Malifaux. They have all these characters. It's the same kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I do, I do think it's sometimes every once in a while fun to play in those worlds and, and and experience those characters and and kind of live in that space of those characters that have so much written words about them. Yeah, when you encounter another one, you don't need the other person to explain the whole thing to you. It's like, oh, okay, you're that character. Yeah, I have, I have a general gist of yeah. like who I'm fighting against. 
So you're not just like, oh, I'm fighting some generic enemy. Like, oh, okay, it's this. Yeah. But then sometimes, especially if those two characters have, uh, you know, backstory, like interactions, and you can kind of just by showing up with those two characters Mm -hmm. when you play the battle, you kind of re-experience those stories that you read about, right? Yeah, that's why there might be a limit to how much fluff you actually want in the game. Because if you're like, no, no, that these are the exact battles that have occurred in this world, like there's no room for everything, anything else, we've flushed out the whole timeline, then you're kind of, ru- it kind of ruins people's experience when they're like, oh, but this isn't, shouldn't be a real thing in this game. Like, I think it's there's true. a limit to how much fluff you want to give to the people. You've got to leave some like blank unknowns out there for people to fill in on their own yeah. so that when they have that battle with, it can make sense to them rather than clashing with being like, Oh, so why do I have this? Like, I'm thinking of X-Wing, where you've got, like, oh, it's Han Solo piloting a Y-Wing. It's like, it's just good because the combo of the cards put together. You're like, this doesn't make any sense. And why is he fighting, like, this Clone Wars guy inside of a other era ship? It's like, oh, because that's good in the game. It's like, okay, you clearly put too much fluff in this because now it conflicts with our whole game and our playing each other. Yeah, so I think you're 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 spot on for me at least you know this is different for everyone right mm-hmm. but for me i think this is one of the reasons why even though i really like comics i actually don't like marvel crisis protocol because i like comics to have the experience of like i like comics that, because they're story-based things and you read the stories and th- those are the lives of of the characters but when you play marvel crisis protocol you aren't playing out the comics fights right and say what ifs right oh you kind of are doing what ifs but they're so far out there that they're not they don't fit the stories that i actually like love the most right like i feel almost like crisis protocol is for people who are not as invested (laughs) in the characters Mm, although (laughs) maybe that's wrong because i I haven't actually been invested in marvel characters for a while so so it to me maybe it's just one of those things in my heart where i have a nostalgia for them that i don't want to play out a game of marvel crisis it's specifically because of how marvel crisis protocol plays right you're not playing out missions right if it were more like you're playing the x-men on the specific mission where they're fighting sentinels and everything makes sense that's cool. I actually like that, right? Because this is a, a untold stories that could happen in the world, right? But in Marvel Crisis Protocol, you're literally just grabbing random heroes and throwing them together in some sort of Fortnite kind of battle, right? It's like everyone mm-hmm. has a hero. Like, oh, sure, Hulk acts like the Hulk, but why is the Hulk fighting another version of the Hulk? <laughs> or, yeah. or, or, the Hulk fighting everyone. I chose the wrong character because the Hulk will literally fight everyone and fighting an alternate version of the Hulk totally makes sense in the world. Mm-hmm. But like, if you chose Cyclops, why is Cyclops, uh, you know, and, and a bunch of X-Men fight, teaming up with Baron Zemo to fight, you know, uh, Thor and two other X-Men, right? Like, it just does not make sense, right? I'm like, this, there's no story and you're breaking those kind of things. And it makes it hard to actually get, at least for me, right? to feel like the things I'm playing on the tabletop are representative of the fluff that I love so much because it's the fluff is too detailed. Right. And I think this is something that we didn't kind of glossed over, but like Marvel crisis protocol has an IP. And so the fluff is not in the book, right. It's not in the, in the, the, 
the uh, rule book. It's in all of the comics that you've read, right? It, the IP has become built in. Same thing with with uh, Star Wars, right? Yep. Uh, and technically now the same thing with Warhammer 40,000. But the difference they, is Warhammer 40,000. books out there. They have all sorts of yeah. stuff that's really flushed it out. But to be fair, yeah. Warhammer 40,000, they have like, oh, there's this other Space Marine faction over here that you don't know about. Well, look at this other Eldar craft world. They they explicitly like write in that yeah. to the fluff where they're like, you are welcome to create your own thing within this. And it's, it is something yeah. that should exist. So they've, they've. I think that's one of the things that really works with Warhammer 40,000 or, or, or works with games, also War Machine. There are games that. Um, where their worlds are tailor-made for wargaming. Yes. So you, they're basically created for you to actually battle it out. Whereas when you have super detailed fluff, like like for, for Marvel characters, it's way more detailed than any stories that you would that you'd find in the, war, in the wargaming universe, right? Mm-hmm. Besides historicals. Uh, but it's too detailed. So you can't imagine these kind of battles with these characters because you're playing Spider-Man. Right, and if you read the comics, you know every single fight that Spider-Man was ever in. If you were reading the comics, yep. So, see, I think there's a limit. I think there's like a top limit for you actually like start harming the people's experience by like mm-hmm. it's going to going to previous IP almost is what what it takes to do to create that much fluff, yeah. or just saying, oh no, there's no other factions. These are the only factions. It's like, well, you, you didn't have to do that. Yeah, it's almost going out yeah, your way. Yeah, I totally agree. Sorry, I cut you off to agree with you. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, and just going to the very opposite end of like uh-huh. something that's within like war gaming tangential, like D and D, where you can have figures and you are playing at the table and you are rolling dice. Like in D and D, you're spending all your time communicating your like shared story. If this is who my character is, this is who your character is. This is how we're communicating. Like. A lot of people find that fun, but they're spending 100% of their gaming time just to be able to create the fluff behind those characters. And it's like, mm-hmm. there's not much time left to roll dice to beat the monsters. If that's what you want to be doing, which tabletop wargaming, you're spending a lot of time just beating each other up and figuring out the tactics yeah. to do that. So the game's got to give you that level of fluff so that you can have that communication so you're not just spending hours being like, oh, here's who I am, here's my well, character. There, there is the argument, I think D&D is actually a good argument for saying that people love doing that, right? Yeah, so there are some people who love you don't doing need, that. You don't need to do that at the game table. And like we said, the generic kind of rule sets tell you, go back, go go, go at home, drum up all of your your theme and your story, and you know communicate with your friend basically what the story of the world is, beforehand and then we have this rule set for you to play out the battles right Mm -hmm. that you imagine in your head and i do i I agree i I, it's it's a it's a lot of work and it's very hard to find those two people especially when there are so many alternatives right Mm -hmm. so i do think this is partially why a lot of games and a lot that, that that take off are are glomp on to pop culture stories uh so that it's built in right so when you when we said right you have those short blurbs and things like that um you can that just tell you yeah this is cyberpunk or this is tolkien fantasy or this is conan fantasy or this is uh sci-fi western right for stargrave mm-hmm. um those kind of 
things allow people to gather, like just insert what fluff they want from popular culture into the game, mm -hmm. right? And I think the the IPs work because you just know, right? Like you you everyone automatically like Star Wars is a is its own you know fluff story. You just say Star Wars and everyone kind of knows what you're talking about, right? And so it's the same kind of way. Um, but with also, of course, there's also brand recognition and all those kind of stuff that helps, right? But in terms of just the fluff aspect, it allows you to bring in so much with so little words, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it was already a buy-in from people. They're like, oh, okay, I've bought into yeah. this whole concept. You don't have to sell me on the fluff part or the world yeah. we're playing. So I guess one other thing um, specifically about possibly having too much fluff is what about historicals historicals have the most detailed fluff because it's reality and you know reality is so the fluff is so real it's like it actually happened yeah like i'm not we're not that deep into that sort of thing but i find those people are just like trying to recreate a battle kind of like just creating their own like diorama of it almost yeah and, and like, experiencing I like the it yeah yeah they want to experience that battle kind of just like making their own movie version of it or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I like ta the tactical aspect of war games, so I don't mm -hmm. want to go anywhere near that. And I want no, the tactical I aspect is totally in those yeah, games. You, That's you, the you, could thing, change right? the, you could change the tactics of the battle. Be like, oh, what happens if they took People this People that play those games love the tactics mm -hmm. and love playing out, seeing if the tactics work, work out and seeing what could have changed, right, if you played if they would did the, done the tactics differently. But there's also definitely, especially when you're talking about like creating your own missions to, to simulate what actually happened. It's almost like, because you know, there's real history and there's some sort of simulationist when you play war game, mm -hmm. you can't be like, oh, I if they did, you can't use the war grain to truly be realistic. It's almost the other way around where how realistic a war game is depends on how, how well the actual battle, it, when you play it out, simulates the what actually happened. So they're like, oh yeah, in the war game, you know, in, in the sorry, in in the war game, you definitely will not be able to have these guys come in because you know in real in reality they they couldn't come in for whatever reason. So that has to be baked into the game, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, yeah, I, I still, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that actually. <laughs> Oh, you just you can only turn it so competitive and still have it be like, oh, we're still playing in this world, but we have to make this weird manipulation to make it a competitive game. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's there's still a lot. There's lots of tactics. In some ways, often it's it's more tactical. Yeah, I personally prefer to produce my own like vision within the world. I don't usually want to play like this chapter of Space Marines or this like napoleonic army i'd rather like insert way more my own like visual idea of it into the army than those games they're like oh here you're the red team and you're so, gonna paint all your guys red i'm like nah, i usually almost never do that so so your feeling is there's reality is too fleshed out for you in most games there's too much fluff in reality i don't want to just play out like the entire thing and then play out historical battles and be like most likely if the rule sets any good what's going to happen is actually what happened in history mm -hmm. 
unless you're super you're you roll super hot and you roll sixes all day yeah now i want the whole like and that that just means that the game was broken and we got to redo the mission so <laughs> with rule sets that actually more equally moder- model what actually happened yeah. no i want my own army list and then my own look of it to reflect it i don't want to be like oh here's your kill team your kill team has these guys on it your kill team is this color or your combat patrol has these things. I'd be just like, okay, well, I feel like if this is the combat patrol for Warhammer 40k you're given, I should just be painting it in those colors. And I'm like, oh, now I'm just being forced to like do these steps to make it how they see it. This is, this is more about getting into a game, though. I don't think this is yeah. really about necessarily fluff, right? Because, yeah. you know, when you actually play, you can always go... Like, when you have detailed, ga- like, detailed fluff, mm-hmm. you can always just go against the fluff. Right when you're playing the game with your friends, uh, you ultimately one of the great things about wargaming is that you can do whatever you feel like when you're actually playing, right? Mm-hmm. As long as you have buy it. So if you have a lot of detailed fluff, you can write your own fluff as long as your friends or the people you're playing with are okay with it, right? That's what happens with a lot of um, games of Warhammer Forty Thousand when you have characters. Let's say you have um, I don't know what what's a character. I haven't met. I I'm really out of step with Gaskell Thraka. All right, mm-hmm. Gaskell Thraka is a famous orc character. But let's say you want to run a faction where you don't want actual Gaskell Thraka in your list. You want, but you like the rules. You like the model. You take him and you're like, okay, this is not Gaskell Thraka. This is Muguk Thraka or something like that. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you're saying like, uh. I could have been more ready with that. But whatever. <laughs> uh, so you take look at that character and you can say, oh, this is not Gaskell Thraka. This is this other co- character, Rogue Ald, uh, Be- I don't know, Beacon or whatever, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And you're saying, this is the character and this is my own fluff and we're going to play it this way. This is separate from what's, what's actually given to us. And that's one of the great things about wargaming and the you know that you can do that so you that's not necessarily bad i don't think for having heavy fluff yeah i just feel like when they force you to with, play a particular with, army you're like okay yeah. now i can't make up my own fluff it's like here's your army you're going to take i'm like okay well if that's the army that should that's be more mechanics like, right yeah hey, if the game mechanics do that i feel like i've pushed into the yeah. using the fluff more just sure i don't know but, why I don't know. To me, that's like there's the mechanics and the fluff, and I feel like the fluff is there, and it can, depending on the mechanics of the game, it can be changed or, or modified based on it, right? Like you could have fluff with all of these named characters, and then they could, they could the army lists in the actual gameplay could just be like you can only create generic characters. There's no actual like 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 actually that's how it was in 40k, right? Mm-hmm. Before, right? The characters your... were a bunch of characters. You, you have your space marine captain, but you're like, yeah. okay, well, this character from the book was this type of captain. You can give him like this variant, and then you can call yeah. him that if you want. Mm-hmm. Exactly, right? So, so to me, that's just a separation of of the design of the game and whether you want to lean in to have those characters be reflected, how heavily reflected they specifically are in the game, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I just. On the mechanics front, I don't like it when they force you to become the character. I'm like, oh, sure. now my creative creative ability has been cut down. Not that it has been, but it just feels like it has been. 
it kind of encourages you. You're, you're, you're right, right? This is one of those things where they, they're nudging you to a certain direction mm-hmm. uh, in that way. And that can affect you in the long run. But I do feel like the fluff, like we said, in, in, in whether it's the hidden, what is it, the secret weapon, uh, a lot of that is, of that fluff is being an issue is like post once you've actually tried it, right? Yeah, I think the fluff is more of a positive to most people. Where I don't know, what would you say for for our Infinity Group? Would you say about fifty fifty people paint it quite close to the studio scheme? Close. I'm not saying exactly, but close. Like with most of the core elements. I haven't really thought about it. I guess I paint my guys similar to the, the paint the the uh, paint scheme. I'd say like 50-50 your armies are. Half of them are similar, half of them. Sure. Sure, so. maybe, yeah. I guess my armies are all similar. So, mm-hmm. Like my, my Yujing is orange. I guess I did paint my Nomads a different, entirely different. But but that was the only one that's entirely different? I think half my armies as well are sort of similar. My alien army is mostly black. And I have one army so that's 50, just like 50 based on, on two guys, and it's yeah. not if one of us paints it, one of us mm-hmm. is not. It's just 50% of our armies are painted towards yeah. the flood. I'm trying to think yeah. of people at the store, too. It's like, yeah, it's like 50-50 whether their army's similar sure. to it or not. So a lot of people seem to want to be given that direction to go in creatively, just feel like they're part of the vision. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess that's a good point, is like, when you have a lot of fluff in a book or in a story or in a in a world, like even with historicals, right? Um, you people who play don't have to read all their fluff before they actually start playing, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things with having lots of fluff, like if, if assuming you don't just force the 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 thing by saying you know having having people have to play those characters, but mm-hmm. even if they do play the characters. If they don't know anything about the character, uh, the fluff of the character, it doesn't matter that it's it's called like, um, I don't know, Victoria and not Sword Lady, right? If you're playing Malifaux, right? Like if it was called Sword Lady, would it be any different if the rules were exactly the same versus calling it Victoria? I don't know. I think it gives people more of a connection to it. Honestly, they're like oh, they can personify yeah. it better, and they're like oh, well, it's not just some yeah. random thing. I feel more connected to it. Sure. And but from, mm-hmm. but I guess my point is that people can engage with it as much as they want to, right? Mm-hmm. When you have more than enough fluff, right? Like yep. stories of 40K, you're no one's going to read all of 40K before they start their army, right? Oftentimes it's just, oh, they, they saw some cool pictures, they saw some cool minis, they buy it. Mm-hmm. And then they, as they get into, you know, painting the models, assembling it, then they get more into the fluff and, and delve deep, right? And so maybe they don't, maybe they, they never do that, right? And they never dive deep into the fluff. And so my question is, for the, heavy, the deep fluff, um, does it matter that, the, does, the, is the fact that they have fluff there just so that it can be there if you ever want to? And then most people don't actually consume the fluff, but a small percentage do. And the idea, is, is it more important that the fluff is available rather than, actually having it be consumed yeah i think it does matter this there because if you you think you need to make things where people can become obsessed with them if you really want them to be your core supporters and have like an entire closet full of nikes it's like you've Uh got to give them some like crazy weird 
shoes and like things they can get deeper into that most people are just like, oh, I don't know, I'll just buy like this standard shoe I go to the store and get that says Nike on it because I like Nike. Whereas there's like crazy alternative versions of them out there so that people can get yeah. really into it and be your like your Nike evangelists and put on yeah, Nike run true. events and put on yeah. like. So if you want, how you want to be obsessed are the you. people gonna get? Yeah, mm-hmm. for Nikes, if you they're only ever caring about Nikes when they're running, you want them to think about Nikes even when they're not running. You want to mm-hmm. be thinking about them. They're reading about Nikes. They're doing all this kind of stuff afterwards, even when they're not running. They're, they have the entire Nike experience more than just when they're using the shoes. So I think yeah, in the same way with miniatures, right? You want mm-hmm. you want to give people. Who, who lightly get into the game and experience it, a way to dive deep so that they get hooked. And I think fluff is, is one of those ways, right? Yeah, yeah, to turn people into your evangelists, you have to have, like, your... Why do I forget their names? I think that Tom Cruise was, was part of. That uh, religion. Um... Maybe we shouldn't even say it online. <laughs> We can't that know that they know deeper levels of secrets that get revealed to them the deeper yes, they go into Yes, Tom it. Cruise's religion, people. Mm-hmm. Yes, whatever. Yeah, yeah, you get you get people hooked. Uh, yeah, I think so. And then once they get hooked, they will start spreading the word, right? Mm-hmm. And so maybe even though a small portion of your community actually reads that fluff, they become the people that hook all the other people, right? Yep. Yeah, they're the ones that keep the game, like keep game events going, keep all mm-hmm. try want to run tournaments and things like that. So, yeah, and I think that makes sense. I think that makes a lot of sense. So, it's good to have a bunch, but also have your game, uh, these war games, be able to be consumed lightly, right? Yeah. So there, you should be able to play your game without getting hooked on the or, or understanding all of that kind of fluff it shouldn't be mandatory like so we we're talking about with the characters and stuff like that mm-hmm. to understand right uh and to get into it but it's great when you reveal it that's why i think frostgrave is great because <laughs> yeah, you really want to buy every <laughs> single book you're like oh well this happened yeah. here and oh, this happens exactly. there or just some people can like flip through a few pages of the book and be like oh okay i see the pictures of the thugs and everything else and i got it yep so and so, and I, I wonder actually if, if that's partially why Joe McCullough started filling in more mm-hmm. into the story, because, uh, you know, he's he's giving little pieces for the people who are really in into the world, right? He's giving them little more nuggets to kind of explore and see every single time you buy a new book, right? Mm-hmm. It kind of gives people, like you said, things to, to get hooked on. And to continue to fall in love with it. And it totally worked on me, as you can tell. Yep. I only yeah. read the missions when they come up. I don't, you know, they come <laughs> hey, up. Hey, we read, read a lot of Frostgrave. I still read you the You actually the know so. a lot about Frostgrave just mm-hmm. by playing the missions. Yeah. And I found, like, even the Infinity, when they put narrative events on, I'm like, oh, well, if I'm going to be part of this event, I should read the four pages of fluff at the beginning of this. Yeah event and then like everybody now knows that fluff and becomes more invested yeah. so it's kind of an interesting way you can like integrate the rules and the fluff to force people to get more invested by reading it <laughs> like even though like they yeah, get me to i was so happy their... when tony makayana died 
just yeah, because we played it. Yeah, yeah, they gave us information about it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that she's supposed to be, you know, a tag uh, controller, and it kind of fills you in on, you know, you have these robots, right, in in the game. And if you didn't know the fluff, you wouldn't know they have human controllers. You would be, just be like, oh, these are giant robots. Yeah. It's controlled by Some the AI because there's an AI yeah. in this world, right? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But then when you hear about that fluff, you're like, oh, they're actually controlled by people who are off site in a certain area and then mm-hmm. they remote control. But they have like a direct neural link so that people could actually get yeah. access back. The other, there's a two way link and they would hack yeah. back through the link into them. Yeah. So that was, that was cool. Uh, yeah. So, um, I guess when we're we're coming down to it, mm-hmm. um, I think we we both said there's somewhere in between that we like the most, right? Like there are certain games that are really heavy. There, to us, the super heavy fluff stuff is more of a sometimes food. We like some most games uh, in between where there's a lot of fluff that you can dive into, but it gives you enough freedom in the world to actually battle it out, and you don't feel like you're constantly fighting against the fluff. For, for for historical events in the stories when you actually play out your battles. So, mm-hmm. um, but is there any kind of, like, is that, I, well, that's, I guess, my ideal, right, when we play, but is there any ideals, uh, difference in your ideals of what you like? Or did I sum it up pretty well? Oh, I think you summed up. I think I've already mentioned before that I just, I want there to be an existing world, but I want to leave those spaces to create like your own vision within those particular like existing armies and stuff. Yeah. Which might be why I really like building mercenary companies in infinity. It's like, Oh no, this is even like more niche. Ah. And it makes it even, even more sense when they're fighting randomly everywhere because they just got paid to do it. Some rando guy in some mm-hmm. rando place paid them. And so they're just fighting and doing, paid them to doing steal whatever secret mission. mission. Like, yeah. Paid. Yeah, exactly. Pan O paid, the mercenary company to fight Pan O to get the actual thing in some weird like spec like psyops kind of thing where they're doing a false flag or something like that. Yep, that's why I sent one orc to fight another orc. <laughs> yeah. Heavy thing, heavy trooper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I think that's basically uh, our our thoughts about it. Is there any other things you wanted to go through before we wrap it up? Yeah, I just think the whole commercial angle of, it, angle of it as well is that they need to get people invested in their product to want them buying it. So offering all this fluff so people feel that like that connection between it. Because if you looked at it from just a purely like it didn't have the fluff and the connection behind it, and you looked at it in a purely like commercial and budgetary aspect, you'd be like, well, why should I buy this Games Workshop version of the product when I could buy this Mantic version of the product and still have the experience of this tactical war game. It's like, oh, but those are the real Gretchen. Those are just like little Goblin, not Gretchen. <laughs> like, okay, I have to buy this version. And everybody There's else is like, no, you have to... of attachment to the fluff. Yeah. Yeah, and everybody else is like, no, you have to buy that that's version because that's not the real character. That's not a real Blood Angel. That's just yeah. like a bulky space armor man painted red. Yeah, it's actually interesting. Like, you're the attachment people to have to the fluff, even if you release miniatures that are better than the official ones, people kind of want the official ones, right? And generally, it's hard to say that for Games Workshop games, because Games Workshop models are really, really good. Yep. But 
you know, for other games, there's often third party. There are third party models in in the 40k space where the third party ones are better. Um, but the idea of buying the official ones kind of shows that people kind of get attached almost to the fluff, like you're saying, right? Where they want the ones that are actually those models, not the feeling of of those knockoffs, even if the knockoffs are better, which is interesting. Yeah, and if you think of like the wide-scale fantasy war games like Warlords of Erlewan or the Mantic one, which is... You have it, right? The Mantic Kings of War? Kings of War, yep. The, just thinking of people for that, like their fluff is kind of just more generic. So if somebody took like a unit of dwarves from some other game that mm-hmm. wasn't their line, you just can't imagine someone being like, oh, that's the wrong version of the dwarves. Like, well, no, you just have your, your dwarf army. It's fine. Just because they're flawed. So you're talking about business. protection of IP by making it so specific that you're like, no, you got to use these specific ones. Oh, That's just an interesting point because I've heard a lot of people say, you know, like when people are asking for miniature agnostic games, right? Uh, people, some people counter that by saying every game is technically a miniature agnostic game if you're not playing, you know, in the headquarters of the company, right? Mm-hmm. And while that's technically true, it's kind of not true because certain stories, like when you when you want to play out the world, when you get invested in the fluff and you want to play out that world, you want the miniatures, the models to reflect that specific world. It's no longer, it doesn't accept all these different minis because it's so specific mm-hmm. that you need those specific things. And sometimes that's a good thing. It's definitely a good thing for Games Workshop, right? Because their IP is so strong. But it doesn't necessarily work for a lot of other smaller games. Yeah, like when people proxy things in Infinity, I'm like, that's not the miniature at all. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I'm just lazy and don't have it. I'm like, yeah, you're just, you're yeah. just, you're just lazy. Or like, no, no, no. <laughs> this army is inspired by this anime, so this thing looks more like this. I'm like, ooh, okay, that's cool. <laughs> that, you know what? That That is actually kind of true. When I saw... Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's better I, than I did see some guys miniature. bringing some non- infinity miniatures and when they look like they're infinity miniatures i'm like okay but sometimes they take miniatures that are not that i feel like don't fit in the infinity world and bring them as proxies and i'm like doesn't look right man part of the reason why i like infinity is the world and it's not even the 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 story like the actual history of the world it's the look right and so i need the the game when i play it on the tabletop to look like the game that I want to play because that is like a lot of the portion of the fun of infinity to me yep yeah otherwise you don't get the shared experience or if you can't communicate it clearly then you're breaking the shared experience so yeah and so they should be exiled yes <laughs> not off me the table. i should off the exiled. off the table yeah. with you flick <laughs> yeah 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 it's not it's not my problem of specifically needing this entire like experience that i have in my head it's their issue for bringing all these things, yeah. They should, and they should have painted their miniatures too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. All right. On that note, uh, I think uh, we that that's our our uh, podcast for this specific topic about light versus heavy kind of fluff and how it intersects uh, with our love of these miniature games. Um, if you have uh, any questions or ideas or comments, uh, send them to us. We'd love to hear them. If you want to disagree with us or agree with us a lot, 
Uh, email us at contact at diceovereverything.com. Or find us on Facebook where Dice Over Everything. This has been Alan. It's from Brandon. Bye.